ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by NASCAR and NBC analyst, Kyle Petty. We're talking on Sunday night after the race at Talladega Super Speedway, won by Ryan Blaney. Uh, KP, a lot to talk about in this race. I want to get to all of it. Um, But first, thanks for being here. I always appreciate when you join me after the race, just two hours after the checkered flag, after the disqualifications have been announced. It's like hot off the press. Here we are talking about it. It's great. Hey, listen, it's fun for me because I, I can still remember the race. You wait till tomorrow, I forget half of it. And, and especially this one, because this one was uh, forgettable. So that's it. But that's a whole nother issue we'll get into later. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about one part that certainly was memorable. And that was the pass that Blaney made on Kevin Harvick, who at the time finished second. We learned later did not. But I thought this was one of Ryan Blaney's best moves. We talk about him being such a great super speedway racer. And Essentially, what Blaney did was snooker Kevin Harvick by changing lanes when Harvick tried to pull in front of him on the backstretch. Blaney dipped down in front of William Byron, like one of those split second decisions that I can't relate to, but I know you can because you've been in this position. But for Blaney to kind of just have the presence of mind that like, okay, Harvick is pulling up in front of me and I'm going to swing down and do like the crossover to this gap that barely exists in front of Byron. And then he hangs on and wins by a few feet with that move. So your thoughts on, on that move by Blaney? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, listen, it was, so here's, here's what I say. It was a great counter move. It was not a move, but because at that point in time, Kevin Harvick controlled the race. So it was a great counter move. Uh, hmm. He read it perfect. He made the perfect move. The timing was perfect. I do believe if that had been Joey Logano leading instead of Kevin Harvick, that move would not have been possible because Joey can block three lanes at one time. And Kevin just has not been in this position. So let, let's just be honest about it. It's been a while since Kevin has been at the front of this type of race at a Daytona or at a Talladega uh, in a number of years. And the game has changed. The way they race has changed. The way they maneuver, the way they they manipulate the air, the way they control the tempo of the race, it's changed. And I think Kevin got caught out a little bit. I, I, I do believe Kevin got caught out, but that takes nothing away from what Ryan Blaney did because Ryan Blaney had to make that split second decision and know that he was going to put that car in that hole at that point in time. And he, if he did, he still had a shot at winning a race and it was still incredibly close, still incredible. Yeah. Listen, I think Ryan's won like three races there and he still hadn't won by more than, than about a foot, a foot and a half, you know what I mean? Right. Which is a tribute to Ryan Blaney. 
because he does understand what's going on and, and where to put his car in that last or those last couple of laps. And, you know, it was, it was impressive. That was the most exciting part of the whole day was when they got to turn three and that move was made. Puts Ryan Blaney into the round of eight after he had a not very good opener to the round of 12 at Texas Motor Speedway. I want to talk about that in a minute, but first I want to go back to what you said about Harvick. That was very interesting about how maybe he's not as much up on how the game is sort of changed at super speedways. You're right. He hasn't run up front as much. He's only won, I think once at Talladega. This has not been one of his best tracks. How would you say it has changed in recent years? And is it mostly just the new car? It seems like it's become just more, it's so much of a track position battle now. I mean, we saw these fuel only stops. I just, I can't get over like that. That's how the strategy have changed so much. And that's, it's become such a track position game. Is that maybe how, Harvick hasn't quite adapted to the way you have to race this place now. Mm, you know, and that I think it's a lot of little things. I, I do believe it's a lot of little things. It, it, listen, if we go back to to and, and let's go way back in time and the way back machine back to the to the late '60s and the '70s and the early '80s, man, you could run all day on a set of Goodyear tires at Daytona and Talladega. You never changed. Gas and go was was huh. the norm. So to see really? that come back, to to see that come back, I think it's a tribute to Goodyear too uh, that they have designed a tire. They get so much criticism for some things they do. They should get a pat on the back for other things they do. Uh, this was pretty pretty decent stuff going on on the racetrack, uh, and the tires weren't wearing out. But I, I think it's a lot of things. I think the aggression at the front of the pack, it, it takes it up a totally different notch. If It's a different notch racing for 15th and 16th. The aggression at the front uh, is incredible. And we see it with Joey Logano. Uh, we've seen it with Brad Kay. We see it with those guys. When they get to the front, they're not giving it up, dude. They're not giving yeah. it up. They're going to block inside. They're going to block outside. They're going to run you up towards the wall. They're going to fake. They're going to head fake. They're going to do everything, man. I just believe that Kevin came from a different style of racing and a little bit different style than that. And as he got older, and we all got older, we all, we all get older, he just wasn't as willing to, to race that way. And, and today... He stuffed it in there. He stuck it in there, and he he was willing to race that way. But I don't believe that there's a magic switch that he can could just flip and say, here I am, I'm ready to race with you guys. If this had been Atlanta, if this had been Charlotte, if this had been anywhere else, Kevin Harvick is king of the hill, no doubt about it. But I just don't consider him that speedway guy that we've seen other guys come in and, and take control of these races. And, you know, Eric Almarola is a great, great speedway racer. He just rises to the top and he understands that aggression, but I just don't believe Kevin understood it. No, I think you're right. I mean, he's only one, I say only, but he's ran the Daytona 500, I don't know, 20 plus times. He's only got one win there and he's run at the front, but it doesn't seem like he's won all that often at the super speedway races. I don't know how many night races he has at Daytona, yeah. but I, I don't think it's more than like a handful that he's won. And I, you know, maybe there is something to that. As I sort of alluded to already, unfortunately, this wasn't quite the story that we thought it would be, even if he had one, because we learned after the race that Harvick's number four Ford was disqualified for uh, failing post-race inspection because of some windshield brackets. Uh, so putting all that aside... <laughs> Yeah. KP, it's Harvick's last season, and this sort of makes it unusual that it was happening. It was maybe about to happen at Talladega. This wouldn't have been the track that we'd predict it would happen at. Certainly Atlanta or someplace like that would be much higher, I think, on everybody's list. But yeah. were you pulling for him? I mean, do you want to see? Oh. He's been winless since Richmond of last year. I mean, we're going on, I think, 13, 14 months. I'm sure you would love to see one more Kevin Harvick victory. Look, I look I, I, I look like Tom Cruise on the Oprah show. I was bouncing on the couch, man. I was... uh 
I was screaming <laughs> for Kevin. That's that's no joke, dude. I, I was I was absolutely pulling for for him to just this is his walk off because of of all the tracks we run, I would probably put every other track ahead of this one as a racetrack where I would have thought Kevin Harvick would have had a shot at winning and would have run competitive. And listen, we can we, we can talk the disqualification, but I, I really don't give a rat's rear about it. He drove that car and he put that car in position and, and he did everything that he could as a driver to win that race. Were there mistakes that he made? There probably were. And, he, and he'll probably watch it and think, man, I should have zigged when I zagged or I should have done this or that. But he should be proud of, of what he did and the way he left it on the table at Talladega. Because I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of guys go to Talladega for their last race at Talladega. And you were lucky to find them on the TV screen, man. They were just looking to get out of there with a car and get out of there and move on to the next race. But he he put it up front. So you, you got to give him that no matter what. Well, that's what I thought was interesting was he said it in his interview, I think with Dave Burns afterward, Harvick said. Great day, great way to end at Talladega. Always want to win um, is what it is. Now, but could you have imagined if this was the walk-off win for you? Yeah, they might have torn it down. Uh, <laughs> you know, that would have been that would have been great. You know, Talladega has been so up and down through the years. We've had some great moments and bad moments. And last super speedway race and, and went out with everything rolling. So that's a good thing. Glad to be going home in one piece. He made reference to it. And then Delana tweeted it. His wife tweeted it, essentially saying, like, I'm glad that he's coming home in one piece. And I never have to come back here and watch him race anymore, which is, yeah, it's kind of chilling when you think about it in a sense. It is. It, it is kind of chilling when you think about it. But it, let, let's go back in time. How many drivers have we seen retire? And they would say after they retired, I'll come back and run some other races, but I'm never going back to Talladega. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just never going back. That speaks volumes to me when a driver steps away from the sport and says, okay, I'm not officially retired. I'd probably come back and run a, run four or five races a year, but Talladega is never going to be one of them. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that speaks volumes to me about the dread and the stress and the emotional toll that it takes on not only the drivers, but the families uh, when they do go to Talladega, because we've seen so many so many things happen there, some tragic and some near tragic, but really bad things have happened there. I'm just remembering, like, Elliot Sadler quote tweeted what Delaney had tweeted and basically said the same thing. Like, we were glad me and my family never had to go back either. So and I guess even more of a testament to when we talk about Harvick, who I know you love talking about that Bakersfield wrestler mentality that just like, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Even though he has, you know, there's no love loss for that track. He clearly did everything he could to try to win the final time there, even though it's so fraught with yeah. these reasons that people are sort of, uh, you know, glad to get away from it permanently. Yeah. Kevin's that guy that this was the race for me. We get down to 10 or 15 laps to go and Kevin's got a shot at it and it's throw caution to the wind. I'm going for this thing. I got this. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of the way it was. And, and I think, you know, God, man, you, you, you dream about what Jeff Gordon did. At, at Martinsville, his final year and, and, and things like that. You know, you do it because, you know, most drivers fall off in those last last few years. And I, I think all drivers fall off once they say, this is my last year. They go to a different place in their mind. They think they're still there, but they're not They're They're not. And it shows on the racetrack. And it's tough to it's tough to argue that point. And I've seen I've seen a lot of great drivers do that. Martin Martin may be the only exception to the rule, but he's an exception to about 9 million rules. Uh, I will say that. But once he could smell that he could win and once that he he 
he fi- figured that out. Then he probably was that 13 or 14 year old kid from Bakersfield uh, that was yeah. getting ready to go toe to toe on the mat. Uh, and he was going for a takedown for sure. Agreed. That's why it was fun to watch. And uh, we'll get what five more shots Roval, Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville, Phoenix. Who knows? Maybe there's still a win in the offing for Kevin Harvick. But for now, what we're talking about is Ryan Blaney, uh, again, advances to the round of eight. And I want to delve a little bit more. And I'm hoping you can help me on this one, KP, because we made a little bit of news earlier this year on the podcast when you referred to Ryan Blaney as the new Casey yeah. Kane. He's always right there, but he never quite closes the deal. Like we're always talking about him as the next big thing. So Here's his chance again. He's in the round of eight. He's made the round of eight, I think, at least four, maybe five times. He's never made the championship before. He's going to have that shot. But here's what I want to ask you about. There seems to be this dichotomy with this guy where he makes a move like he made today. And we talk about what a great super speedway racer he is. And you have to be a certain amount of like cerebral element there where you have to think things through and it's a chess match. But yet, you know, last week we see him speed on the last stop and puts himself in the spot where he gets wrecked. And last year we were talking about it, like mistakes he was making speeding or putting himself in bad spots for crashes. It's weird to me that he kind of, on one hand, there are these inexplicably bad mistakes, which we were just talking about like a week ago. But on the other hand, he seems to again, have like this presence of mind of he makes the right move in a split second. in an instance like this, when the wind's on the line. Yeah. That's why you scratch your head. And, and yeah. that's why, that's why, and that's why I say, and 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 I stand by what I said. That's why I compare him to a Casey Kane, and and so much freaking potential. Ryan Blaney has so much potential, and we keep talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And then he makes a move like he makes today, and you say, "See, I'm telling you, the kid's got potential. He's got it. He's got it." But then he's just as likely to go and throw it away for the next six races. And that's the problem. That is the problem that I have have seen or that I believe that Ryan Blaney has. If this Ryan Blaney that showed up today shows up at the Roval, shows up at Vegas, shows up at Martinsville, shows up for the rest of the year, you're not going to beat him because he's on top of his game. But this Ryan Blaney has very rarely shown up two or three weeks in a row. There again is why I made the comparison before. And I still stand behind it because they've not shown me anywhere that they've done anything. Yes, the wins come. For all Ryan Blaney fans out there, yes, the wins come. But in my guesstimation, in my estimation, the wins should be triple that or quadruple what he is winning. Instead of winning twice this year, maybe he should have won four or five times. You know, I look at Kyle Larson, and I think Kyle Larson's won three or four times, but I can name four or five races that he should have won too. So when you get into that, capitalize on some of those races, finish off some of those races without mistakes and without putting yourself in a bad place and, and find some consistency. And I think that's what I, that's what I meant with the comparison to Casey Kane, because I know it's in there somewhere. I know that that great race car driver is in there somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's a valid comparison and I'm glad you kind of put it in the context of today's race. Cause I think that helps. I mean, I think people saw it and they thought, ah, oh, you know, this is like a, a clickbaity sort of hot take, but it's it's not. The way you just explained it is exactly spot on in relation to like what happened today is that, that you're like, yeah, he makes a move like he did today and you just want to shake him and say, don't speed on in, in the pits anymore, man. Like you can do it. And, and he got asked about it this week. And I mean, he tried to give a good answer because Ryan's always good with the media. I think he's very accountable. He's, he's very likable. He's very affable. I think NASCAR likes him. I think they would love for him to be a champion, but you might have better insight into this than me as a 
former professional athlete, but like, how do you fix it? Is there a way to, to just break out of those habits? You know, I, I don't know. And, and, and I don't know because listen, he's a, he's a lot better race car driver than I ever was. And I, and I, I will say that uh, honestly, and there, there were a lot of guys that were better than me, but to move to that elite level for, to be Joey Logano, to be Kyle Busch, to be some of those drivers at that level, that's a fine line, man. That's a fine line. And only he can define that. Only he can define that. He has all the physical attributes. He has all the mental skills. They're just not there every week. They're just not there every week. That that focus, that desire, that drive, it just seems to go away or to something blocks it every now and then. And I don't know how you fix that. You know, that's more... That's more a question for uh, a PGA, a professional golfer, because, you know, to get in your head and, and to figure out where you're at and how, what are, what are those triggers? What's, what's a trigger that takes you out of the game? What's a trigger that puts you in the game? You know, how do, how do I stay focused? What do I, what do I need to do? And, and, you know, I think that falls back a little bit on, I, I think it falls back on Ryan to, to figure that out, to watch the races that you give away and say, how could I have kept those races? And I know when you when you talk to some of the greatest drivers out there uh, that watch film all the time, now they'll tell you they they know the lap they gave a race away. They know the moment they gave a race away. You've got to be able to identify that and correct that. I mean, not a lot of these guys talk about it, KP. But I mean, Hamlin admitted it. It was several years ago, actually. I mean, they they all see sports psychologists. I think oh, yeah. right, like they're all getting some level of mental coaching here. You know, if they don't, they should. Uh, I, I would say that because, <laughs> because it's a tool. Because it's a tool. If we're going to say a simulator is a tool, if we're going to say a weight machine or, or a barbell is a tool, uh, then a sports psychologist is a tool. So why not use it? Why not use it? You know, in this day and time, why not use every tool you can to be the best driver that you can be, the best all-around driver, physically, mentally, emotionally, focus, everything that, that rolls into it. Why, why wouldn't you use that as a tool? If I was driving today, I'd probably need a, a team of them. Let me, let me say that. But I, I would dang sure have one on my side to be able to understand where I'm at and to be able to read me and say, okay, this is what we need to do today, or this is what you need to work on. Because I look at it just as, as again, it's just another tool in the toolbox. And, and listen, some guys are so freaking mentally strong that they don't. They, they pay they pay no attention to it. I look at Brad Kay, and I'm going I'm to use Brad Kay as an example of something that happened today, okay? Yeah. 99.9% .9 of the accidents that happen on the highway, when you run into the guy, you're the one that gets the ticket. Brad <laughs> never apologized for spending the 42. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, he, and I mean, he never took any of the blame for that accident. Yeah, just unfortunate. Uh, we got kind of shuffled to the outside line here. The 42 pulled up in front. I'm like, all right, let's go. We're going to run back up to the front, and... I just pushed him and he kind of instantly spun out. So I don't think he did anything wrong. I just think his car probably wasn't driving that good. But uh, it's uh, frustrating. You know, we, we were able to win the second stage and we were in good position there for a long time and uh, just kind of unraveled on us. And that's how it goes here sometimes. Carson's pretty talented. Did it cross your mind that he hasn't done a lot of this? Maybe I should be a little careful with him. Only one way to learn. You get out there and go, right? Uh, so. Yeah, you just, uh, this is part of the race, and you push, and uh, I gave a pretty light push. I don't, I don't really think he did anything wrong. I, don't, I just don't think his car was handled well enough. In his post-race interview, he never took. Why? A couple of reasons, but one of the reasons that, that we're on right now is that he is so mentally focused that he, don't, he doesn't believe he did anything wrong. 
he was so focused on pushing that car and getting back to the front and putting himself in a position. And he's so mentally strong that he pays no attention just because an accident happened. It just happens, man. It's just part of the game. I don't worry about it. I move on to the next race. He can deal with it that way because he's that old school guy, that old school between his ears where he focuses on things like that. Other drivers would fret about things like that. And if you're fretting about something like that, you need a sports psychologist. Well, it's funny because Dave Burns, I think, he interviewed Keselowski and then he interviewed Carson Hosevar like back to back. Hosevar and Keselowski, who Hosevar is the guy Keselowski hit and caused the wreck, they had talked in the care center and Hosevar opened his interview with Dave, like saying, oh, yeah, I think it was my fault. What was that like from your perspective? And were you expecting Brad to do the aggressive push? Uh, no. Yes, yes and no. I mean, I don't fault Brad at all. I mean, I did in the truck race even. You, when you're on the top lane, you have to push, right? You got to start building momentum. You got to start, you know, creating uh, forward energy. It's just a tough spot. Um, you know, I wasn't that good of a leader anyway, so I was trying to learn. I don't know. You know, I talked to Brad a little bit. I didn't know if I was backing up too much, trying to lock on. Um, just, just a tough spot. Why well, say it that way? But it almost yeah, came up that way. You know? Yeah, yeah. Here's why RFK is running so well, and and you got to <laughs> give Brad K total credit. Because Brad Kay, in a very short period of time, ran in the back of, of Josevar, spun him, and then convinced him in the care center that it was his fault. <laughs> now, if you have those leadership qualities, you should have a cup team. Because that was fascinating to me. Fascinating to me. I, I can appreciate Carson. Because Carson is the young driver. Carson is learning. And he takes that. And he takes everything that Brad said. And he listens to it. And... He doesn't have that arrogance. He doesn't have that, well, it's not my fault. He, he wanted to learn. And Carson has done a great job in that 42 car, man. He has, he has had some, Bristol was a phenomenal race for him. But so I love that about him. At the same time, I love that about Brad Kay too, that he could convince somebody that it was as much their fault or their fault more so than it was his. I was going to touch on this incident, so I'm, I'll just get the rest of your take here. Then we interviewed Austin Dillon. And I don't know if it was Kim or, or David interviewed yeah. him. And, and Dylan said, uh, I didn't see any of it. It just uh, got right reared. But after watching the replay, Brad and Enfield Care Center said it was his fault. He was pushing the 42. But I mean, I had gotten out of the middle lane to get away from the 42. He couldn't hold a straight line uh, without anybody pushing him. So don't know why Brad was pushing him. Uh, it sucks because we were caught up in it. And we had a fast Bass Pro Shop Chevy. He almost threw even more of the blame on Hosevar, Austin Dillon did, who I understand he was frustrated. He was an innocent bystander. But what was your take on I mean, when a guy hits a guy in the trial like that that hard, is it on the guy who's doing the bump drafting rather than the guy getting pushed? Or Well, again, if 99.9% .9 of the tickets given out are for the guy that ran into the back of the car. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say that in the real world and everyday life and civilian life. But you know what? And And – and, and Austin was that guy at one point in time. We were all Carson Hosevar at one point in time. We were all that guy, that kid that couldn't keep it straight, that no veteran wanted to run with, that, that no one did. All of us were. Don't let anybody fool you to think that even the greatest drivers in the world weren't that guy at some point in time. And that just happens to be who Carson was today. You know, there were a lot of people pushing him and pushing him in the right direction uh, for somebody who couldn't keep a car straight. I mean, he kept Denny Hamlin down an extra lap because he jumped up in that outside line and got pushed to the front and made his lap up when Denny couldn't or Denny thought it was his to, to have. So he didn't do everything wrong and he probably didn't do everything right. But I, I think a lot of that was frustration because I really felt Austin Dillon had a good car. From the time they dropped the green flag, he put himself up there in the top four or five and it kind of maintained that. 
uh, and, and kind of been one of the faster Chevys. So I'm, I'm sure uh, Austin was extremely frustrated. And, you know, it's sometimes I, we go back and I go back in time. It's the Joey Logano syndrome. Okay. Since he was the youngest guy in the garage area, remember when everybody dumped on Joey, all that, that, I mean, everybody, Kevin did, Carl did, everybody, everybody went after Joey for a while. And Carson just happens to be that guy in the race today. He was the young guy. So everybody was going to dump on him. Ross Chastain last year. I mean, there's always yeah, like exactly. one guy. It's exactly. that guy's fault, no matter what happens. No matter what. And you you mentioned Dylan's frustration with a good car and this style of racing now at Talladega and Daytona to some extent, but certainly Dega with its so much track position. Do you think it's just frustration across the board for these guys where, I mean, that's this is what Keselowski was saying. It was, they just passed 30 to go. They're in the mid twenties. And now it's like, we got to go. Like there's no yeah, waiting. Gotta go. We've got to get to the front. And this is what this style of racing sort of lends itself to. So, yeah, I, got, I have a little bit different take on that. But but yes, this is what this style of racing lends itself to. You know, when we get down to the end of the race, it's time to go. And I know that that SHR did uh, Talladega Nights, but there was no shake and bake in anything they did today, uh, except for Kevin Harvick, <laughs> <laughs> except for Kevin and Eric. I thought Eric did good. But let me but but here's what I'm going to say. I believe after watching this race. And, and this is a, this is once again, this is, this is one of my far-fetched grassy knoll theories. <laughs> so after watching this race, this race, the playoff speedway race is unlike the other three speedway races. It, it's unlike the Daytona 500. It's unlike the July race. It's unlike the first Talladega race, because when you get to this race, when you get to this race in the playoffs, there are so many agendas out there, so many different agendas. There's the agenda, I've got to win come hell or high water. There's the agenda, I've got to get stage points. There's the agenda, I've been kicked out of the playoffs. I got to show them I can still win races. And there's the agenda of five or six teams that always circle these speedways and say, I can win at this racetrack. Can't win anywhere else, but I can win here. So when you get so many agendas trying to race, and then it's, it's just a different race. It's not everybody going for the win. It's not everybody going to get the trophy. That's not what this race was about. There were guys that strictly just needed stage points, man. There were guys that just strictly needed to win. And, and I, I watched the race and, and, I, and I thought to myself, we have hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped. And this didn't live up to any of the hype. This, this was not a hype. That, there was nothing there. This race was maybe one of the plainest, just watching paint dry, dullish Talladega races I've ever seen. Because there were so many agendas. Because these guys were putting themselves in position to maximize their day, stage points-wise, to maximize. You know, Ryan Blaney did a great job of putting himself in position to maximize his day stage points-wise. He, he was having a great stage points day. And there were other guys that were having decent stage points days. Bubba Wallace wanted stage points and couldn't find the top 10. So there's a guy who, who never got, got in the right place. So I just think there were so many different agendas that the race itself, it detracted from the race. And the other thing, sorry, I keep hitting my table. The other thing that fascinates me about these races that really changes how you approach them and, and how they play out, and we were just getting ready to see how it was going to work out, is the manufacturers all pitting at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, oh, listen, I'm Toyota. I'm going to pit. I'm Ford. I'm going to pit. I'm Chevy. I'm going to pit. 
it was coming down before the the accident there with with Brad and and Hosvar. It it was coming down to somebody was going to have to make a decision. I'm in this inside line and I'm in a Ford. If the Chevys come, I'm going to have to go with them because this is a fast line. I'm not giving up my pushers and my pullers uh, just to just to stay loyal to my team. How's that going to work? Um, and we were that close to seeing who was going to jump ship and who was going to stay, uh, but it didn't play out that way. So again, now you got manufacturers with agendas. So there's so many agendas rolling into this race, to this one single race, that it it, it didn't even come close to to the hype. And listen, our guys tried to make it exciting, but you can't, you couldn't make that exciting. <laughs> I think I share your opinion for the most part. I, I wouldn't say the most uneventful Talladega race I've seen. Uh, and I can think of a few <laughs> where it, it felt like even more just like logging laps, logging laps, logging laps, like where guys would just run single file for yeah. 50 or 60 laps or almost seemed like a, a sit down strike while they were racing. Like I didn't sense any of that so much today, but it, there were periods where I just felt like, yeah, there's a, there's, there's like a sameness that's sort of built into it now yeah. with the manufacturer alliances, with the agendas that, you know, kind of what you're getting. And by the way, I should preface, all, should have prefaced all this by saying Jeff Gluck, I think is going to have a very different opinion on his podcast based on his tweets today. So must feel like we need to meld our podcast here and, and bring Jeff on with you to, to debate this one. But I found like the, the, the final 10 laps were, were pretty good Talladega drama, but it's just, what do you do with the other? There we know, go. 470 miles. So here's what we did. Here's what we did. So we dropped the green flag and we all race because we know we're going to have to pit. We know we're going to have to pit in, in stage one. So we all just get in line and we do what we got to do. And then we pit and then we come out. Then, then with six, seven laps to go, the intensity level ticks up at the end of stage one. Then it ticks up at the end of stage two. So they were just logging laps. They were logging laps to that point where, yeah, we know they're going to have to pit. And then they're going to start racing. So that's the problem is you feel like during that period of time, during, during that first fuel run on, on all these guys, you just think they're logging laps, man. They're logging it. And for the most part, they are just logging laps. Nobody tries to pull out. Nobody does anything. They experiment with the inside line. They experiment with the outside line. They get shuffled to the back. They try to get back to the front. Yeah, there, there's some gamesmanship and there's some things going on, but there's not a lot of racing going on. There's not a yeah. lot of, this is staking of positions. You know what I mean? Nobody is just staking out a position and saying, this is my place. You got to come through me to get this thing. And and that that is a little bit, to me, that's a little disappointing, I think, when when I went. And listen, I'm with you. I, I'm, I remember the races where they got up next to the wall and they'd run 42 cars in, in one line straight around the wall. And then they'd peel off and everybody come down pit road almost at the same time. And they'd wait for each other and say, come on, boys, let's go. We're going back up to the wall. And they get yeah. back up to the wall. So, yeah, I, I do remember that. But in this day and time and the racing that we've seen with this car, with this car at Daytona and Talladega and stuff, I, I would. So let me rephrase that and just say it's it's the probably the least eventful race I've seen with the new car over the last two years. If we, if we That's say fair. if we if we say I'll, I'll stake that position and say since we came out with this car um, and I, I think there's been some good racing with this car since we came out with this car. This is the least eventful speedway race I've seen. Mostly uneventful, but probably in a good way for Martin Truex Jr. I had him as finishing 19th, I guess. Every stat we throw out, or every point on this yeah. podcast now could be affected by the Harvick disqualification. So yeah. maybe he finished 18th, but still Truex's best finish of the playoffs was 17th the week before at Texas. We're halfway through the playoffs and Martin Truex Jr. does not have a top 10, your regular season champion. But 
He's still plus 17 on the cut line. So I think he probably still gets to the round of eight. But I know you said last week, Kyle, that you don't have him in your championship four at all no. anymore. You still you still feel that way? Listen, in, in the first race, in the first race of both rounds, he's given away back at least half of his points. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, he did it at Texas. He went in 36 above the cut line, came out, what, 50, 17 or 18 uh, above. And now what is he, 17? So he lost points again today. So he lost one or two points again today. So he's not even shown me a trend that he can gain a point. Just gain me one point or just give me a push for a week. Just give me a push. You, you know what I mean? And and that is, that's disheartening because the, the eight or 10 races leading up to the playoffs, um, I think he had like six top fives and seven races or something. I mean, he was on fire, dude, man. He was just the guy. And and I looked at it and I thought, okay, he he's going to give Denny a run for his money and give, give Larson a run for the money. He's going to be the guy that nobody's paid attention to all year long. And, and here he is getting hot at the right time. Uh, but he's gotten cold at the wrong time. And, and that's all you can say about it because listen, Cutting that tire, we're at Kansas. I think he went in. And Kansas, was, yeah. Kansas. That's not Martin Truex's fault. That's racing. That's the racing gods looking down on you and saying, you're out there. Yeah. And and for a team like that not to even sniff a top 15 in, in the first, what is it, five races? Of, is, is it, yeah, first five races yeah, of the playoffs. Five races. Unheard of. A regular season champion who hadn't even seen the top 15. It's just you, when, when you start looking at it. So, yeah, you know, or, I guess he run pretty decent at Bristol, but I, when you start looking at it, it's just unheard of to to see some of these some of this stuff. And and I just I don't know I don't know what what that problem is, you know. And and I don't think they know either because if they did, they would fix it and they'd go in races. That's how simple it is. But he is a question. Um, and and listen, but I will say this: as quickly as he's gone cold, he can go hot again with five races yeah. to go. And, and these five races that we run for the rest of the year are in Martin Truex's wheelhouse. They set up well. Yeah, yeah, all the bad stuff's out of his way. That's why I think if he can get through the Roval, again, like you're right, like they have not shown an iota of like being able to like pull through even with a sizable 18-point lead like it sounds like they're going to have. But if he can get in the round of eight, then it's Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville. I mean, you said those are, those are Truex's wheelhouse, but that hasn't mattered to date, like we saw it at Kansas or Darlington or, or Texas. That's the problem. That's the problem. And, and that is the problem. And listen, I, I know, I know they know those races are in their wheelhouse. You know what I mean? And they are, they're as prepared as any team out there. They've just not been able to capitalize on, on anything they've done. And, and today was probably that type of day for him too. You know, sometimes you, you get in the left lane and it slows down, you get in the right lane and it slows down. And that appeared to be a few times that Martin was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that lane just lost all momentum as soon as he would change lanes. So sometimes you have those days, but for him to be a contender uh, and to be able to make it to, to Phoenix, he's gotta, he's gotta have, he's gotta finish this round pretty strong, I think, or at least show he can run in the top five or 10 when we get to the Roval and then maybe turn the corner when we start the next round. So he's, I'll just run down the playoff situation. You got Hamlin 50 points above, or now I guess 51, Bell 23, Busher 20, Truex 20, Kyle Larson, who ran a pretty good race for a guy who's not a big super speedway racer. He's 15 or 16 now above. And then Keselowski, two above. And then outside of it, you got Reddick, two below, Chastain and Bubba, nine below, Kyle Busch, 26 below. 
heading into the Roval. So first, I, I want to ask you about Bubba. Okay. Because feels like he missed an opportunity here coming off yeah. a, a pretty good Texas race where he could have won and locked himself in. Today, he finishes 25th, gets no stage points, and he went from being like somewhere around the, the 13th, 14th position to mid-20s on the final run. Afterward, he was very hard on himself. He said, I'm uh, just... I don't know. We need to go back and, and, and debrief and, and figure out. But track position was so important. Um, if the if the two if the bottom and the middle lanes were riding and the pace slowed down enough, you can make the third lane work. But that last pit stop, we had a number that we were trying to get for fuel, and we came out. I don't know, 13th or 14th when we were fifth, and and I, I made a wrong call there i cost us in the 45 a, a lot of, of positions and a really good day so didn't make the right moves at, there at the end but just trying to make up for what we had lost on track position wise kind of surprising because it's the guy who's won at talladega and super speedways are kind of his thing both him and the team but didn't seem to have it today yes and that is yeah yeah he didn't they didn't have it today for whatever reason they they never really got in position like bubba has in the past I mean, we've seen him at Daytona go to the front and, and take control of a race. We've seen him at Talladega go to the front, take control of a race. But they never got themselves in position to take control. The inside line, the outside line, the high line, they just never could drag a line up there. And and this is and, – and I've thought about this because, you know, I, I don't think I had Bubba – I may have had him out in the first round. And listen, I didn't get any of them right in the first round, so it, it doesn't make any difference. So – but – I think in the first round, he exceeded all expectations. I mean, he did some some solid stuff. And then as we started this round and you roll into, you know, we rolled, we rolled into to Bristol, he exceeded my expectations for sure. He drove the race that Bubba Wallace needed to drive to move to the next round. And, and then we go to Texas and I'm thinking, man, all he's got to do, man, he knocks about half that deficit out here. And then he goes to Talladega and knocks the other half out. All he's got to do is go into the Roval and maintain. And that would have been a good place for him to be, I felt like. So I think what what has come for me is this. He exceeded all my expectations in the first four races of the playoffs. And in the fifth race of the, the playoffs, he did not meet my expectations. And that's where he's at right now. Because if you're going to exceed expectations, you have to be in a position, I believe, to at least maintain and and everybody expects you to run good at Talladega, then go to Talladega and run good. Everybody expects you to run good at Daytona or at Atlanta, whatever that racetrack or Homestead, because he's been killer on the mile and a half. I, th- I think he's only finished outside the top five one time on all the mile and a half. And we've got Vegas and Homestead coming up. So those races are in Bubba's wheelhouse. But the problem is by not meeting the expectations today, he has put himself in a position to not advance to a round which is just matches up for him uh, with 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 Vegas and Homestead uh, and what his year has been so far. So yeah, and I don't I don't know why I, I don't know why because he was hard on himself. And some days you just have those days, man. Some days you just have again, just like I said, you get in the left lane and the right lane starts moving. You get in the right lane, the left lane starts moving. Some days you just have those days. But I mean, he took a lot of it on himself. But at the same time. I have to be honest, I didn't feel like the the, the 2311 Toyotas were where they have been in the past, uh, the last couple of speedway races. 
I, I didn't think they were were as dominant of cars as what they had been before, even though they qualified well. I didn't think they were as dominant of cars as what they had been before. I mean, kind of like the RFK Fords as well today. Like they just they yeah. didn't seem to control it as much. And much like the Kozlowski crash, I mean, it felt like Bubba was saying, like I was kind of stuck where I was with however many laps to go for that final restart. I guess there was one 25 to go and one like 13 to go. And he just felt like he had to take chances. And it just, like you said, just maybe wasn't his day. I think one cool part was that Bubba did have Michael Jordan on his pit box today. So immediately after he did the interview with Kim, MJ came over and, and consoled him. And you could tell he was just telling him like, hey, you know, here's the greatest player of all time who has famously talked about, I've missed a lot more game-winning shots than I've made. Yeah. And I think Dale Jarrett, like DJ sort of made that point, was that's probably the advice he's getting right now, which is probably pretty good advice. <laughs> After having a, a not-so-good race at Talladega to have the best NBA player of all time, like come over and say, look, man, you're going to get another shot at it. Yeah, yeah. So you're telling me that Michael Jordan is his sports psychologist, is what you're telling me right now, <laughs> So, and, and it is That's good. Pretty much I'm telling you. Yeah, no, but it, but it is, listen, I don't care whether it's Michael Jordan. I, I, I don't. And, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I've seen Rick Hendrick do the same thing. Walk up to Chase Elliott and wrap his arm around him. Walk up to Kyle Larson and wrap his arm. Around. Walk up to Jeff Gordon and wrap his arm around him and just start talking. When that boss man, when, when that guy is your friend and, and he's more than a boss, when he, reaches out and touches and talks and consoles and tells you, I'm still right here with you, man. I'm still right here behind you. That, that solves everything. And, and that cleans up everything. So no matter what Bubba says about himself, knowing that Michael Jordan or Denny Hamlin or Rick Hendrick or Felix Sabatis or whoever he may drive for is there with his back means everything in the world of Bubba Wallace. And, and again, I take Michael Jordan out of that equation because I've seen other owners do the same thing when a driver has has had a day that he doesn't feel like is his best day. Yeah. But it's got to be it's got to be gratifying to Bubba to be in that position, to be able to get out of a car and and not have to to go in the back door of the truck uh, and kind of slide out without your owner seeing you because you feel like you, you drove a terrible race or you did something that he wouldn't be proud of to have that owner come up to you and say that that's a huge boost. And and Bubba should take that as, as a huge positive. I want to get out of here by talking about the Roval, but before we do that, this can actually lead into that a little bit. So Denny Hamlin has his pit road speeding thing that he has, it seems like every third or fourth race. I know you've joked about this in the past as well. I mean, I talk about Blaney, but Denny's the one who's admitted to having a psychologist, sports psychologist to help him with this kind of stuff, but doesn't hurt him too bad. I mean, he leaves with a top five, He's, I think, 51 points up now. Byron and Blaney are in the round of eight, but you can almost pretty much lock Denny in at this point as well. So feels like he avoided some calamity today, Kyle, and in good shape to keep racing for this first championship. Listen, Denny's in the round of four, and 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 he, he just is. Uh, once again, once again, and, and let, let, let's go back. So Denny gets a lap down. Denny gets a speeding penalty. Denny gets a lap down. Denny gets lapped. Denny doesn't make up his lap. There doesn't appear to be any cautions. The way the cautions fall, Denny gets back in. And where do you, he run, what, fourth? I think he ended up fourth yeah. or fifth or some. So once again, they have a nothing day, and he ends up fourth. We go back to Kansas. He's on pit road. He gets run over by his teammate. The door is almost torn off his car when you look at it. Arrow-wise, we know how sensitive these cars are to arrow. And once again, he comes back and makes nothing at, at Texas. Well, that's Texas, right? 
Yeah. Yep. And and so my point is, when it's your year, it's your year. And this appears to be Denny's year because of these little things that we're watching happen. He's recovering from what could be, for other teams, catastrophic. Denny could have just as easily have been hit in the right front tire coming off pit road at Texas by his teammate and taken him out completely. But it didn't. It's just a scratch, and you move on. And and Dale Jarrett will tell you, Bill Elliott would tell you, Dale, any, any race car driver, Dale Jarrett, any race car driver will tell you that they won races, and as soon as they cranked the car to load it on the truck, the engine blew up or something broke, or something happened. It's just your day sometimes. That That's just the way it works. And right now, Denny is on a high, man. Denny is on a high. They can do nothing wrong. They can speed on pit road. They can do whatever they want to do, and they're going to salvage a top five. And, and, and he's going to run up front and lead laps and win races. Listen, when he was a lap down today, he was up there leading the race, okay? They, I know he didn't get credit for leading the race, but he had put himself in a position to, to be the car, the first car across the line, even though he was a lap down a few times. So when you when you look at that, it, once again, it makes you think, man, if they could just clean up this pit road stuff and clean up some of this stuff, that there's nobody in that league right now. And I don't even, I, I, and I believe that. I don't, I don't believe Larson's in that league right now because Larson will have have make a mistake and something, and they don't recover. They've not recovered. You know, we know Truex has not recovered from anything. So who else is it? Right now, there's just Denny Hamlin. It's going to fall on him going into to Phoenix, I believe, because I don't believe he's going to get knocked out. It's going to go into him where it's going to be one race, winner take all. And he's going to have to put together out of these 10 races, that one perfect race to walk off with this. But everything's lining up for him to have that. Well, maybe he's saving it for that last race that he's, he's never quite had. It's a bold statement to say it's Denny's year, but it does feel like it's going that way. So yeah, well, it certainly seems like he's almost a virtual lock for the round of eight, even though he doesn't have the win yet. But let's talk about that cut line. You've got Kislowski plus two, like I said, Reddick minus two, Chastain, Bubba minus nine. Kyle Busch is pretty much, he's got to win. But does it look like it's basically four guys fighting for maybe that one slot, presuming everybody has fairly clean races? Because after Kozlowski plus two, then you get up to like Larson plus 16, Truex plus 18. It seems like there's a little bit of a gap there. Okay, so here, so here's what you got. Who's right in front of Brad? Is Larson? Larson. Okay, Larson. So do you believe, and, and does anybody out there believe, that head-to-head that Bubba or Chastain or Kyle Busch this year can beat Larson on a road course. I don't. I, I no. just don't. You, you know what I mean? And I don't believe that Brad Kay can beat Tyler Reddick on a road course because I think Tyler Reddick is a road course racer. Good point. So Brad Kay's in trouble I, I, because there is somebody below that line who is a road course racer who can jump up there. My man Busher has turned into a road course racer, man. And you look at him and where he's at in points and stuff. So I don't see anybody up there except for Martin Truex, who hadn't done anything, falling backwards. You know what I mean? I just don't see those guys faltering once we get to the road course. So if I'm Brad Kay, I'm worried. I'm worried because there's a guy behind me I know head-to-head could probably beat me. If if I'm Kyle Larson, I'm not terribly worried. Although, although the history of the Roval and Kyle Larson is just a weird thing, man. <laughs> you know, gas it up, get across the line. He makes the playoffs by this. You know, he gets spun. I mean, there's so many things. It's just been, it's been a weird place for him. So 
I'll put him in that category of weirdest things ever to happen to Roval. Kyle Larson falls into that category. So something could happen. But if I just if I just put drivers head to head, I don't see from Kyle Larson moving to the top to Denny and to Blaney, who's taken himself off the table, and, and William Byron, who's taken themselves off the table. I, I don't see anybody jumping out of that final four, uh, except for Tyler Reddick. And all he's got to do is, is beat really all he has to do is run all day long and heads up, take stage points out of it, but because but they're gonna be there. He's he's just got to beat uh Brad Kay by two positions. So think about that coming into this race. They if they run all day and nobody scored stage points, he's just got to beat Brad K by two. And that seems fairly simple for Tyler Reddick for me. I mean, we could know all that by Saturday after qualifying. We're probably gonna have a really good idea of how Sunday's race will unfold on NBC. And you're right. I mean, this has been a weird place for Larson. Ended his playoff hopes last year out of the blue and then came back from that, what was it, a busted alternator or something in 2021 and won the race. And then that put him on the path to winning his championship. And then, yeah, the other year, I mean, the Roval is just a weird place. And there's talk this could be the last time for the Roval. So yeah. you know, it's got to go out with a bang if they move it back to the Oval next year. So should be good. Hey, as always, really appreciate you being on the podcast, KP. Thanks for uh, joining us. No, man, thank you for doing it right after the race, so I still remember it. I appreciate it. Our thanks again to Kyle Petty for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to motorsports manager Emily Convoy for helping set up and record the episode. The NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series will be at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval this weekend. Four drivers will be eliminated in each series after this race to set up the round of eight in the Xfinity and Cup playoffs. You can head to NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the information and schedules on how and when to watch. That's at NBCSports.com NASCAR. If you have any NASCAR NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me at Nate Ryan. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.